Welcome to Descender from Klarna, a podcast where we deep dive into the design career topics we all think about but don't talk enough about. I'm Rachel Rosenson, a design lead at Klarna. Each episode of our show, we'll talk with different designers about how they've navigated these tricky questions and what milestones or bumps they've hit along the way. This week on the show, we've got Tim Plummer and Ricardo Estevez in the studio talking about how to get unstuck when your growth feels stalled. Tim's a graphic designer turned product designer with an eye for typographic detail and product consistency by day and a gamer by night. At Klarna's Stockholm office, he designs the onboarding experience for the Klarna card, which is a physical card that lets you pay with Klarna anywhere. Before that, Tim was at Yelp, enabling people to get tables at some of the best restaurants in the US and making ads that don't suck for big brands like Starbucks and McDonald's. You can check out some of his work at timplumber.co. And Ricardo Estevez is a Brazilian designer with a focus on pragmatic design that pushes to innovate. He's passionate about the seemingly boring systems we all rely on that the tech companies changing the world often overlook, like designing a power grid management product for a city of 10 million or Internet of Things products for smart farming. For the past three years, he's been a design manager at Klarna on the B2B side of things, dedicated to solving the problems of Klarna merchants or business partners at any step of the way. Ricardo is also a writer at heart, both in design and in his personal life. So check out some of his musings on Twitter at rstevez or his Instagram at rcrde. Welcome to the podcast, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. Nice to be here. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you for the intro. So the topic at hand, how do you get unstuck when your growth feels stalled? I'm super excited to hear what you guys think about this. I'm curious at the start, how do you even recognize when you're growing? Hmm. I think from my point of view, it's something that you don't really notice as it's happening. Like you don't notice month to month, week to week, but if you take stock every year or so, or even every couple of years, you can say, wow, where I was two years ago is nowhere near where I was now. It's about being able to proactively reflect. Is there a process that you do? For me, the most recent time that I took stock was when I made my portfolio. I didn't really have a, that much of a portfolio presence before. I'd been putting it off for a long time. I finally started working on it. And after I did that, I was like, wow, actually, some of the things that I made are kind of cool. And I learned a lot while I was making them. I think the portfolio tends to be the, the designer's therapy moment, right? Like it, it's our self-reflection to, oh, the last time that I, that I did this was terrible. So I think you start to look at the different aspects of your work, how it grew, how it changed. Getting stuck is just not how much more design you do. It's what types of design you're doing or interested into. Can you look back at your work and kind of pinpoint this was the project or this was the kind of thing I did that all of a sudden unlocked a bunch of stuff going forward? I would say that the aha moment was not even looking back, but actually I learned a lot when doing a lot of interviews for Klarna. When you start to see the other people's portfolio, you started to look back into the wrong way. And what is actually the good? What when I'm hiring, I'm looking for? And the first thing that I scratched from my portfolio was that intro message that says that I'm liking to solve people's problems in a user-centered way. That's something that every designer should remove. And it's always my advice to friends, which is that if you hate working on your portfolio, interview someone else 
and it'll kind of get stuff moving and, and you realize how you want to present yourself. So you mentioned that you notice when you're growing, when you start looking backward, but do you need to be looking backward to notice when you're stuck or when you haven't been growing? I think sometimes it is actually kind of tricky to notice when you're feeling stuck. Like day to day, you might feel like, yeah, I'm still getting things done. I'm making projects. I'm delivering certain outcomes, but maybe it's not up to the caliber that you're looking for. Maybe it's not up to the caliber that others are looking for. Sometimes it's more just about assessing a gut feeling of I'm not super excited about this. I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm learning something new and then from there, I like to just write stuff down, write down what are all the things that are expected of me in this moment, and then prioritize them, and then focusing on whichever one of those things is most important, and just putting all of the other ones aside so that I can actually have the time and space to do it well. On the other hand, I don't think actually getting stuck is the problem. I think getting stuck is good. I aim to get stuck as fast as I can so I can move into something. I think as designer, you really want to find where you get stuck so you can start to look for the answer. Maybe you need to study something else. Maybe you need to bounce with a different person. I think identifying the stuck or where your limitation comes, either on a skill level or in a problem space level, it's very part of the work. I, I see what you mean that it's a good thing because it kind of shows you're circling something important and, and often the most important things are the hardest to solve. But I wonder, how do I know that I'm getting stuck because I'm a designer versus I'm getting stuck because maybe the project itself is chaotic or maybe there's external factors? How do I recognize when it's a good kind of stuck? I think the, the good kind of stuck is one that you understand what is missing, but you don't know how to do it or you don't know how to reach it or you maybe need the context. The bad stuck is when you're lost in the sense of like, maybe you're not organized or maybe there's not enough people involved and you feel like you can work and work, but the work doesn't move. And I think mm -hmm. that's the bad kind of stuck. When you're trying to solve a problem and the problem never gets solved. When you have the same meeting week after week and kinda, what did we do? And nothing actually happened. Uh, I think that's the bad kind of stuck. Do you have an example of last time you got good stuck? The, the people that I designed to are very different from me. They're companies, right? Like it, it's very hard to relate on any level to their pain points. So there's no escape around without going to their context, working with them, going to a warehouse where they're doing their usual business operations, talking to, to the people and living a little bit of their life to see what was missing. We were missing designing a system around them. There was no amount of research study or book reading that I would find an answer for that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. User experience is trying to guess what people want. So if you're stuck, ask them what they want and it'll kind of start moving it. I'm curious, Ricardo. I, I, I had some uh, experience working with businesses at my, my last job. And uh, I think for me, the thing that was hardest is I, I was designing for, for U.S. businesses, but I was based in Europe. So there's this big time difference and it really was an obstacle for me. How was it for you to, to actually schedule those meetings, get talking to the right people, find the people who would actually give you the insights that you needed? Something that I, I really think designers should be 
even more aware of. Like people from support and account managers, they're talking with your users on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the first friends you have to make in a company, not the product manager, not the engineering manager. So basically relying on them to either set up connections or even to educate a little bit the support people. When you're collecting feedback, maybe ask about this, ask about that. It goes back to what Ray just said, you just need to ask the people what they need and then you design yourself away of the problem. I think what you always, always hear designers talk about is that they want to do research, but they don't have time or they don't have the funds. So what are some other ways or hacks if user research isn't always possible? Oh, user research is never possible. That's the reality. User research is so important, but it is seen as a sherry on the top. For me, my bread and butter is literally engaging with the support functions, having workshops with them, teaching them a little bit of usability, how they can frame questions, adding to their script, because then you suddenly move from a single person trying to do research to have maybe a team of 50 support agents collecting information for you on a daily basis. And that is completely game-changing when you're designing blindly. How long does that process take of gathering an army of willing and able experienced advocates? I would say it takes a quarter to make the next quarter useful. So it's not a, a, a easy process, but I think it's an important step of, of setting the foundation. It will make your further work much, much faster. I do agree a lot with the customer support aspect. And what I found is that customer support agents love being involved because think about it, they listen to the same complaints over and over and over, and they're mind-numbingly bored and irritated that no one on the product side is just fixing these issues. You're right, they have the, the best insight, but then also it, it helps them feel more critical, which they absolutely are. But when moving from working with businesses, was anything special that you got stuck to this change into type of clients? So I, I started working with consumers initially, specifically people looking for, for restaurants in the U.S. and wanting to make reservations at them or, or get on the wait list at a certain restaurant. And that was a really cool space to be designing. I would have stayed doing that for longer, but I wanted to move to Europe to be with my girlfriend and the, the team that was in Europe was focused on business. So. I had to make that switch and I wasn't sure about it. It took me a really long time to start understanding what are businesses even after? What do they want from our product? What do they care about? Yelp's main business model is that they sell ads. And so I had to start understanding how ads are sold and how the money is made and why do businesses care enough about ads to actually go about buying them. I had to design them for businesses. That's who we're selling to, but in a way that didn't piss off consumers, the people who are using our product and who actually provide value. And that was a really weird space to be in. I, I was trying to be as little of the bad guy as I could while still making a product that would appeal to businesses. And how did you balance that? I tried to start with the consumer first as much as possible and paint as much as of the product as I could from their point of view instead of from the business's point of view. 
I made one really big project while I was there. That was something called Showcase Ads. Yelp didn't have a way for big businesses like Starbucks and McDonald's to really show off what was happening, like uh, limited time offers, special seasonal kind of things, pumpkin spice lattes, McRibs, all those sorts of things. They didn't have a good way to do that in Yelp. So for a business to stay relevant, of course, they want to show that stuff. But also for a consumer, they're genuinely interested in knowing when that kind of stuff is back. And so starting from the user mindset, I, I tried to make it in a way that was accessible to them and then tried to figure out how can the businesses actually put their images and text in a way that is actually an appealing product. So you mentioned when you're stuck, you like to write out what's going on, then you prio. Do you feel like that process changes when you're in B2C versus B2B? In B2B? It's harder for me to empathize. It's harder for me to really figure out if, if I were you, what would I want? And so then those conversations that Ricardo was talking about or that support agents are having become even more important for making things that are good, where when you're doing B2C, it, there's a lot fewer steps to get to that empathy stage. But the, the flip side of that is that in B2C products, you have to usually consider what is the business angle of the product that you're, you're working for. What numbers are you looking to move? What things does this business care about? Of course, you want to put the customer first as much as you possibly can. But sometimes you might be asked to do things that are more helpful for the business than they are for the consumer. That's another part where I, I would get stuck sometimes and I would just kind of start writing things down and, and trying to frame things as much as I could from the user point of view so that I could push back on, on some of those things. So you've talked about your writing stuff down. Ricardo has mentioned that a lot of his processes is, is text-based. I'm curious as designers why you think that writing is more helpful than sketching or some other format. I think it works as a creative outlet that, I don't know, at least in my life, drawing always felt more like work than writing. Like, I don't know how many boxes with arrows I draw in my life. And there's almost like a, a brain shift into when I go to drawing that puts me into like a problem solving method while writing. I feel more free, even though I'm working on horizontally line after line I, I we might get rambly but i think it's it's nice it's relaxing because i'm flexing different parts of my brain i i totally agree with that and and i i feel more free when i'm writing as well when i'm drawing i'm usually trying to make things look good and that is already a mental model that can block me or make me feel even more stuck sometimes I think writing is more helpful when I've got kind of like a, a chaotic cloud of things that are all scrambling around in my head and, and I, I don't know which one is actually the most important. And so I'll, I'll make a list and prioritize that way or I'll write down what I think the real problems are for each of these things. And then inside of one of those problems, that's when I might start sketching in order to drill down deeper into it and, and diagram different things. And, and also, I think... There's an aspect of uh, writing that I relate so much to what we do because writing is kind of orderly by nature, right? Like you have to do in a sequence to make sense. It's very different from drawing, which is free flowing. And I think a lot of the work needs a moment that you can put things in order, which it's funny because especially right now with tools like Notion, where you can write orderly and then you ship things, I think adds a different way that you can relate to content. Uh, it really allows you to draw with words, which I think it's a different layer of like doing what we do. Yeah, a great exercise a professor taught me 
was for any concept, write it in three paragraphs, then three sentences, and then one sentence, and then go back the other way. And I know that in design, we talk a lot about three seconds, 30 seconds, three minutes for a visual feedback, but I also felt for idea distillation that that really helped me get to what actually is the important thing here. Yeah, it's a work of selection, right? Like the whole diamond diagrams that we have in design, it's all about eventually narrowing down into a single thing. I think stuck is when you don't know what to remove more than what you don't know what to add. There's also a designer, which I don't recall name saying that when you're working on design, just remove, 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 remove stuff until the design stops working, then add one stuff back. And that's when you should stop. And I really, really empathize with that. I think that's how we should be, be doing, but you need to have a massive output before. So you really know how, where you, you want stuck yourself. Yeah. I think also that massive output is maybe the easiest way to unstick, which is when you don't know what you're doing, do it a hundred times. And then eventually one of those will be the right thing. What if you don't feel like you have enough time for that though? I feel like that's what always stops me. I don't know how other people <laughs> design things, but I can say for me, when I'm trying to just make myself dump things out, I will take the same artboard, make a design, copy, paste, shift one element, copy, paste, shift one element, copy, paste, shift one element. And then if I absolutely feel like there's nothing left, then I'll make another design and do the same thing. I don't usually feel very comfortable making a lot of completely different ideas mm -hmm. because then I feel like maybe after six, I get stuck. Whereas when I'm just doing this like micro change, then it helps me start seeing more things. Yeah, I completely double down on you, Rachel. I, I feel the same. Like you, you just need to do a lot of things fast. I think there's an aspect of like you don't have time yes you don't but you have the time and in that time you do as much as you can it's hard to escape because speed is a characteristic that we have that's why a lot of people said to to not be bound to the tools because uh, people might have different levels of mastery with those. And they say, oh, go to the paper first. I don't think we should go to the paper first. Like the paper is outdated, no kidding. But I, the paper works but because it's easy. But if you have a lot of mastery about the tool, you can generate very good and very fast on it, maybe on a different level, but you have to take the speed into account. Are there any tools that have helped you when it comes to speed mastery in this sense? Hmm. I tend to feel very old school. And when people start to talk about plugins on Figma and Sketch, I feel like a, an old person saying, oh, what is this? This, this drop-down menu. I like to come to the office just to use the whiteboards because I, I don't like to work paper. Like the classic designer notebook when you can fit like two mobile screens on each page. For me, that's not enough room. I really need something expensive. I agree that that space is super helpful. My girlfriend and I, we have some sticky sheets of whiteboard paper. They're the little static sheets that you just put on the wall and you can take them right off and they don't leave anything behind. So those are super nice when you want to get to sketch in at home and you have enough wall space for it. 
I think Miro has been a, a big change in, in how our organization works, especially for things like workshops or diagramming flows or just doing information architecture. It's such a versatile tool and it doesn't feel like you have to be as high fidelity with it, which I think is an important thing to, to not feel precious about what you're doing so you can move stuff around and let it be ugly for forever if it needs to be. Totally. I think it's one of the apprehensions I might have around using FigJam, Figma's new collaborative whiteboarding tool. In the same way we talked about when you start sketching, you already feel like it needs to be pretty. When I'm in Miro, I almost have this permission to just work in boxes and text and arrows. And if I'm in a design tool, I already start feeling like, well, you know, I could quickly sketch it out. And then you start getting into a high fidelity place. That being said, I hate being across 30 different tools, so I'll just complain either way. Do you ever feel like the tools make you stuck? All the time. <laughs> it makes me stuck as a designer for the reasons you mentioned before that I want things to look good. But I think it also makes me stuck in communicating with non-designers because it's very hard for people who are not designers to understand what is a sketch, which is the basics of wireframing to show other people rough concepts without steering feedback into the wrong direction. What do totally. you think, Ricardo? I, I think that th this is a difficult discussion because especially if we look in our context, when we have a design system full of symbols, it, it, it's almost becomes easier to build closer to, to reality than actually doing the, the sketch. I really got stuck with, with Miro or Fake Jam. There's nothing that stops me, my work, as going to a Miro board and dropping the first post-it. That is terrible. I don't know, I never had this in physical spaces, but digitally, it's so much pressure on that post-it. And that's why I come back to, to my writing. Like, one thing that I feel slightly strange about doing that has been working so well with my teams is I try to not use design to explain what they need to do with design. Like it can, I use free form text, like in this screen, I want to do this, this actions and then bullet points, this and this and this and this, and after this person, this, and once they get this sense, maybe we can move into something. Yeah, it's true. I think it also helps with building creative confidence for non-designers because everyone can talk out loud or write. And so that kind of equals the playing field to be brainstorming together as opposed to this intimidation of, oh, now the designer's making pretty things. So we should step back from the whiteboard and, and let the designer make the, the designs. Yeah, this happens a lot. Like for example, if, you, if you're running a design sprint, you'll have different stakeholders of different disciplines. It always comes to the, the day that you actually have to, to do the drawing. And everybody's always intimidated. If you have a designer in the room, they're kind of, oh no, uh, the designer is going to do the best. The, the drawing aspect puts a lot of pressure, even on the designer to actually, oh, hey, I have to draw better than those people. And I think that's a difficult thing to balance. And it puts a pressure in a role that shouldn't be about drawing better only but solving the right problems. And as you said, Rachel, taking away a little bit of this pressure, making more open how you solve problems and making the drawing just a part 
end of this process and not the core. I think it's more welcoming. Uh, product design should be done by more people. So we shouldn't make this about drawing. Totally. When it comes to growth, sometimes pressure is a huge motivator. Sometimes it's a huge blocker. I'm curious what your take is and, and how you feel you respond to pressure. I would say that the first thing is, do you even want to learn this? Like that's something that you have to ask yourself because even in the product design space, there's so many areas that you can specialize. Like it's, it's endless from every touch point that you have from users to teammates, to your own skill, to other designers, you can funnel yourself into something very deep and never look back. So the first question when you get stuck with something is, do you want to learn this? And if you do, good, you can study, you can read. I'm a big fan of reading. I'm not a fan at all of Medium articles. I think they, they were good in a day. Now they became the writing portfolios of many designers, basically. I think I'm a fan of reading old school books and, and trying to understand what was there before it was cool to do product design because we're living in a privileged time like it's oh our market is hot the second thing is what if you don't like it like what if you really don't care about this part of the work that's difficult because if you need to do it how you do it and i don't know what did you do yeah i've had this issue in the past like for me Research is interesting, but I'm not good at doing it. I think I'm not good at conducting the interviews. I, I talk too much. I, I don't like give people the space to speak for themselves and I ask too many questions and I have gotten a little bit better, but I'm also aware of the fact that I have certain skills as a design. Like I have my strengths and my weaknesses, and that's just one of my weaknesses. Luckily, I've always worked with teams and there are people within those teams who can help me structure interviews or kind of help compensate for my weaknesses. And, and I kind of just lean into that and it, it makes me feel less pressured. Basically I'm, I'm part of a team and I don't have to do everything myself. Yeah, I am at a new stage in my design career where I feel comfortable in saying, I do not care about grids. I don't, if it's four pixel, eight pixel, 10, just tell me what grid you want me to use and I'm happy to work on it. But the, the constant debate between them is not my jam. And I think for a long time, I felt so self-conscious and I've even had the conversation with many managers of maybe I'm not a product designer. If I don't like grids, maybe it means I'm supposed to be a PM, but I don't want to be a PM. I just don't want to work on grids. I think part of that is the insecurity of looking at other great designers and seeing what they do and thinking that, oh, to be a great designer, I have to do that. And it's an insecurity I still face all the time. But into that, like you mentioned that you look at other great designers and it's just, you feel pressure. Don't you think that is also a part of what you make you feel stuck? Like, is that the level that you want to reach and you don't know how? I think with career growth, definitely, if you look at what other people are doing, you can feel stuck because it can either put you on a path that you're not actually interested in, 
or it makes you feel like everyone knows some kind of secret that you don't know to unlock success. When it came to career growth, I was interning at Google and I was supposed to do a year long internship at Google in London. And almost immediately I realized that it wasn't the right fit for me. And it took me like six months of sticking it out and saying, yeah, but it's Google. Just do it because it's good for the CV and figuring it out later. I, I didn't like being in such a large team structure. I wasn't close to the research. I didn't like that. I was kind of just fed, make this small asset when I think I'm someone who strives in more larger storytelling projects. And I think had I had more confidence, I would have asked to switch teams and I'm sure there are other opportunities, but I was too scared at the time. And I left and instead made installations at a two person graphic design studio that no one's ever heard of. And it was the greatest job I've ever had. So after that experience. I've always thought, put your head down. Don't look at what anyone else is doing. Be completely self-centered when it comes to career choices and you'll eventually find a place you're happy. What about you, Tim? No, that I, I, I haven't had that kind of experience, but I definitely can empathize with the feeling of like all of these things that are kind of expected in this space, like the things that the Medium articles are talking about, they don't super resonate with me. Like there, there's always parts of being a product designer that you're going to be better at than the others. And like I said before, just being, being part of a team and recognizing that you have strengths that other people don't have. Those people who are amazing at grids might be terrible at research. The people who are amazing at research might be bad at grids. And that that's something that takes a lot of the, the pressure off. And in, in that sense, I don't feel super stuck. I think I feel more stuck when it comes to talking or interacting with product leadership inside of a company that have their own vision of where the product should go and how it should get there. And feeling like as a product designer, I can actually challenge those assumptions or, or challenge the, the direction that they're thinking about going in a significant way. That was something that I really struggled with in my, my second stint at Yelp, where I was working with business owners, because it took me so long to figure out, like, what do the business owners even care about? I didn't feel like at that stage I was in any way ready to influence a roadmap. And as I got more and more comfortable with the, the problem space, I started to say, hey, maybe we should actually be changing this experience in a more drastic way and making the experience better and better. It took me a long time to push that up the hill and eventually get some commitments for making the experience better for people. But I, I think it, it was just a, a process of, of learning the vocabulary that PMs are speaking and business people are speaking and feeling like I could finally have those conversations with them in a way that was at least kind of on their level. But that's the thing, right? Like design is, is really tough. Maybe not more tough than a different role, but it's tough by how spread we have to be in what we work. And I think that's something that is very unique for process. We need to go way to the inside of, of like the, the company understand what their goals then you have to go completely outside and talk to the users and in this journey you have to interact with so many different disciplines to be able to build this goddamn breach between these two spots and definitely you will be missing something there like you will be might not be the best researcher you may be the the hater of the grids and and there's always going to be a missing part and sometimes you need to be just comfortable with it like you won't be the best at this and i, I think tim 
cut the, the best uh, answer for this. Rely on other people. You don't need to do everything by yourself. And if you need to do everything by yourself, maybe you're the sole designer in a company as a startup and you have to do end to end. Well, you're already doing a lot of stuff. And if you're not doing something, nobody will be aware of it. When you talk about like the B2B part, for me, the thing that gets me stuck is that the person that is using my product is not the person who is choosing my product. And that's a difficult relationship to maintain because it involves a lot of political work. That's where I struggle a little bit because the product improvements are with the paying user who is choosing us while the experience improvements are for a completely different subset of people. And for me, playing this political game stresses me out a lot. It's part of tech companies that you have to do. How do you handle those political conversations? First, I think you need to be transparent. I think you have to make clear what's the role that you're there to play. They ask the engineers about the technical limitations about the product. The product manager is the vision, is the strategy, is how these things are going to be prioritized. Design is kind of the juggler. Is what things will be holding off while the others are in the air. You won't be able to do everything at every time. So I hate to say pick your battles because I don't think we should be picking our battles, but don't take your foot out of the pedal because a business decision is not good for the user. And this will happen as a designer. Be pragmatic and think about the risk. Like, what's the risk of not making the user experience better? Like, what's the risk of not making that button clear? What's the risk of going almost dark pattern into that CTA? And be open. Like, okay, we might get people writing bad things about us outside. Is this some risk that we're willing to take? Uh, are we willing to lose money on this? So. It's just about assessing the risk and being open about what we're willing to lose. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, we've talked a lot about growth and how to unstick yourself when it comes to projects at hand, but zooming out a bit when it comes to your full career, also your personal life, what does that look like then when you feel stuck? one moment in my life where I had a lot of change happening uh, all at once and I had to grow simultaneously in my career and in my personal life was when I moved from the U.S. to Europe to be with my girlfriend and also moved offices and changed teams and all the things that I, I mentioned before. I was changing from the consumer space to the business space. I was changing from a bigger headquarters office to a smaller office and it wasn't easy. It, it was nice that I was still at the same company, but it was still a lot of change at once. And I think as I got more comfortable moving and living with my girlfriend and being more communicative, because we'd been doing two years of long distance prior to that. And it's like, there's only so much communication that you get when you're doing text chat and meeting up every few months. When you're living together long-term, you get so much better at communication so much more quickly. And that actually meaningfully helped me in my day-to-day -day life at work. I, I was so much better as a communicator and I felt like I could address 
tricky, complicated issues with people. I could be more sensitive. I could be more perceptive also of when people were having issues with different things and kind of represent design in a way that was uh, approachable to people. And I don't think I was actually super good at that before. I was growing in my personal life and I was taking that with me to work as well. Can I, maybe that's a personal question, but like how much design did you talk at home? For our listeners, Tim's girlfriend is also a designer. And also their kind of... relationship is, is what we call designer couple goals. <laughs> Back to you, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for that, Rachel. Yeah. So yes, we do talk a decent amount of design, but it's not something that occupies all of our conversations. We're also talking a lot about video games, about movies, about books. But, but I think that's good because there's another aspect of a filling stack, which is the other people outside of the workspace that, that you interact, like the the learnings that you have from different people. Like I'm not a very creative person in when we think about design outside of my workspace. I'm not the person that will open sketch outside of work hours. It's like, I'm just going to make a very good dribble shot right now. Like I like to put my creativity to different things and sometimes ideas come out of those. I think that's kind of the trick of getting stuck and it's part of generating massive uh, output. Because an example of that, like I love painting miniatures on my free time. It's just something that I like and it's creative. I'm using colors, but for me, it's a lot of work because I have to paint a lot of different miniatures with probably the same colors that I have to understand the stock that I have the colors because then I have to buy more miniatures. So there's a management aspect of this. After some time, I started to design my own system to manage how I buy colors when I paint them and what items I need to take. And especially because each color can have a different behavior when overlaid about another one. I also have to define the order of painting of some stuff. And I think I learned so much about interacting elements on this and those really influence my products. It's kind of like the, this bathroom shower ideas. They really exist. I feel like that's just an amazing story of like, a design nerdiness level on top of a miniatures nerdiness level and you, you've completely multiplied it and it sounds awesome. Do those observations or systems that you made up live anywhere at this point? Right now in Notion, because just from a database perspective, they kind of serve me to organize, but I actually have some sketch files, which I promised that I wouldn't do it, but I actually started to do it because I said, there's more people doing this. Yeah. Maybe this can become a product and that's the rabbit hole. But I think that's enduring because I got stuck and getting stuck was the best part of my, my growth. Like I would never open sketch with this problem first, but having this problem as my pain point was actually what triggered me to try to solve it. Which I think is such a great way to think about getting unstuck and also just about building your creativity and replenishing the tank after work. It's great to invest in your growth outside of work, but it doesn't mean you have to do more work to be growing. It's those other muscles. I totally agree with that. And, and for a while, my girlfriend and I were working on a video game. We both love playing video games all the time. And we decided to actually start working on one with one of my coworkers back in Hamburg. And we worked on it for months and we put a lot of work into it. 
And what we learned was making games and making products are completely different things. Like, and when you're making a product, you're always trying to do things as simply and as easily as possible, where games are specifically about the challenge. If you make things too easy, it's not fun anymore. And so we spent months and months and months working on this thing and we realized Okay, it's, if we want to make a game that's fun, we're going to have to really learn how to design games and have this different muscle. We've been playing a lot more games ever since, and we're, we're periodically having discussions about like, oh yeah, this could be fun, or what if we did this? And it, it enlightened us to how much we don't know about that space, and then it let us kind of enjoy the space even more. I love we're getting so nerdy that I'm finally finding my comfort level. And and I think that's great. Like, like you, you mentioned uh, designing games, and... There's something on that that I, I'm also keen because I love role-playing games like classical dice and pen and paper. And there's a concept into this pen and paper role-playing game that, that they call Heartbreakers because Heartbreaker is a game as good as it could get, but it never got released. I designed so many Heartbreakers over the years, like so many things that I'm really passionate about and you just can get to finish. The process is the best part. The process is what I love. Like you mentioned, like defining the challenge, what's the goal? What are the mechanics that I'm going to put here? And like twisting your brain, trying to reach those goals. Then you start to have those 23 folders on your computer with many of them having underlined final V2, final, 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 like nothing gets to the final end. And I think that's good. That's okay. I'm not a game designer. I won't be a game designer, at least in the short term. But the process of doing those is so great for my mind. It's, it's so relaxing. And I think it really clears out my brain to unstuck myself of some stuff. I'm not the person that bang my head against the problem until I figure it out. I really need to reshuffle myself back into a solution. Recently, another game came out called Valheim. It's a, a very like expansive kind of open world and procedurally generated kind of adventure survival game. And it has a lot of the same things that we were thinking about and they did it way better. Good job, guys. It was rewarding to see that a game that had some of the things that we were thinking about could be so successful. It was a little bit validating and a little bit like, oh man, what if we, what if we tried harder? Yeah, I think when we, if we just consolidate a lot of the things that we talk, like everybody can agree that the best part of playing The Sims was just to create your characters and put the furniture on the, on the house and then just closing the game, right? Yeah. I think, I think, Ricardo, that actually sums up this episode perfectly. Descender is sponsored by the design team at Klarna. It is produced by Francesco Cutolo, Mina Engelmark, Anusha Yusen, and Rachel Rosenson. To learn more about the regular career paths on the Klarna design team, head to klarna.com slash careers. A special thanks to Carl Riemer for our cover art and Hadrian Eggström, a.k.a. Adenima, for our music. If you want to check out more of his music, go to tinyurl.com slash adenima. Got questions you want to hear from other designers elsewhere? Write us at descender at klarna.com. See you next time. <laughs>